0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 20 how King Abimelech was not buying Abraham's excuses of calling his wife Sarah his sister and the advice that he gives Sarah and Abraham. This message is available for free download on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast and at friendshipwithgod.org. So on iTunes.com or friendshipwithgod.org, download, listen to these messages for free, and it's made available for free by your donations and support to the Friendship with God radio program so that others might hear sound doctrine and the gospel truth and how they can have friendship with God. You can donate and support this Bible teaching radio program with Tom Cantor by calling us now or after the program at 800 247 3051. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. You can sign up for a monthly donation or a one-time donation by calling us at 800-247-3051. We appreciate your support. You can also go online to support us with a donation by credit card at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org, or you can write in your support to friendshipwithgod.org, At P.O. Box 711-330, that's P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, S-A-N-T-E-E, that's Santee, California, 92071. I'll give that to you again. Friendship with God at P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071, or call us at 800-247-3051 for more information. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 20 how King Abimelech was not buying Abraham's excuse of calling his wife Sarah his sister and the advice that King Abimelech then gives Sarah and Abraham.
1: Abimelech told all his servants all those things. So it is with the believer. He must confess to all that he now believes that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. There were some in England in history when when a man became a Christian that he went to the county registrar's office and asked to be registered as a dead man (laughs) because they said, you know, he died with Christ. Well, that was a way of telling everyone, I'm a Christian now. Do whatever you want with me. I'm a believer. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for this spirit of Abimelech, this open confession to all. He knows there's going to be consequences. God knows there's going to be consequences, especially among the Jewish family. And that's why in Matthew 1032 36, this context is so important because he said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him, that individual, will I confess also before my Father in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him, that person, will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not, see, same thought now, but just keep on the thought. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, but a sword. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of their own household. He knows that there's going to be negative consequences, especially for Jewish family, after they confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. And so he says, you're going to find your, in your home, that's where your enemies are going to be. You're going to find there's a sword there, No, it's not peace anymore. That simple confession that the Lord Jesus Christ is God puts odds, man against father, daughter against mother. If a person confesses that, he says, you'll find out. Your, your, Your greatest enemies are in your own family. Again, that's the part that hurts the most from confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, to see your own family. That's why he said the word, his own household, own household. We have to remember here, he's speaking to Jewish people. So the natural question when a person is considering these costs of confessing the Lord Jesus Christ is God is that it's a heavy cost. And the natural question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it really worth losing my own family by confessing that the Lord Jesus is God? And that's why he said that that what the Lord Jesus Christ would do for that individual person. And he says, Him that does that, I'll confess him before God the Father. And if you don't do it, I'll deny him before God the Father. Is it worth it? Yes. The reward of having the name confessed before God the Father is worth it. So it all comes down to a person's individual struggle with making this individual decision. Confess or deny. Confess or deny. And that's why he knows this individual part of the struggle. So that's why he said, whosoever, him, whosoever, him. Now, we see that in the scripture that some believed, but they chose not to confess openly. And that was the chief rulers of the Jewish people in John 12, 42-43, where it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God those chief rulers did not want to be thrown out of the synagogue. So even though they believed, they didn't confess with their mouth. And that's the way it was with the parents of the blind man in John 9, where it says in John 9, 19, and they asked them, the parents, saying, Is this your son, whom you say that was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that he's our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth? We know not. And who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He's of age, ask him, he'll speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed, had agreed already, that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he's of age, ask him. See, those parents didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. And even though they believed, they didn't confess. But not Abimelech. He not only believed, he confessed, all right, to all of his servants, everything that he'd seen, and his confession was that he was a great sinner. And he made sure they all knew what he was talking about. Because he says that in verse 8. It doesn't just say he, he came and told all these things. There's a little phrase in there, Zen, that says, he, he told them in their ears. <laughs> you know, you know, he came on strong. <laughs> you know, he didn't say, right, can you hear me? <laughs> you know, I'm speaking right into your ears. You know, He was in their faces. And that was very definite. The effect was very definite in verse 8 because it says they were sore afraid. They were frightened. Me'od, they were really afraid. They were frightened by all this. And so now in verse 9 through 10, Abimelech turns from his servants now to Abraham, and he asked Abraham these questions. Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done? What have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds that to me ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What sawst thou that thou hast done these things? See, these three what's, or are like nailing Abraham to the wall. What, what, what? He's saying. Yeah, I could tell you, you don't want to be, you wouldn't want to be one of my sons and have my wife do an interrogation <laughs> exactly what happened because she'll get down to the bottom of it. And Abimelech was going to get down to the bottom of it as well. And so here we see Abimelech asking Abraham a series and rapid fire, just like that. What, what, what? What hast thou done unto us? What did you do? What did you do to us? What have I offended you? What's the reason you did this? How did I wrong you so much that you've done this to him for my people? And we can see Abraham, you know, he's, he's, this is a tough time for Abraham. He's standing there confused, he's standing there self-condemned, and he's standing there speechless. He doesn't know what to say. And so Abraham, he doesn't know what to answer. And so Abraham just stands there speechless. And, you know, because Abimelech is say, what, what, what? And so then Abimelech goes ahead and answers for Abraham. <laughs> and he says, Abimelech's first question is, what hast thou done to us? Abimelech, And verse 9 says, I'll tell you what you've done to us. Thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. That's what you did. And what did you do? I'll tell you what you did. You brought a great sin. So Abimelech, second question, what have I offended you? And why did you do that? In other words, why did you do it? Abimelech says, I'll tell you why you did it. You did it. I don't know why you did it. But thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. There's no reason. That you can give to justify to me or others why you did this wrong. So at the end of verse 9, Abraham continues to just stand there speechless. He doesn't know what to say. And Abimelech is not going to let Abraham off the hook. So Abimelech pelts Abraham with another question in verse 10. Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? In other words, he's demanding now from Abraham, Say something. Speak. Don't just sit there speechless. You've got to give an answer. Okay, so now verse 11, we got to Abraham, he has to give an answer, he cites it. So Abraham says in verse 11, Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they'll slay me for my wife's sake. So Abraham begins now to speak, and what he says is very truthful, by the way. He's very truthful. Verse 11 is very truthful. It's really, it would be, it would be nice if it was, if it, we'll talk about that in a minute, if there was something else that followed, but really he is confessing his wrong here. And he, so he starts out by telling the truth of explaining why he did lie about Sarah not being his wife. And what we see Abraham explain to Abimelech, well, he starts out by saying, Well, this is what I was thinking. And he starts out by telling Abimelech, he's saying with these words, these very important words, because I thought. See, these are very important words. And he went on to say what he thought. First, he says, I thought that surely the fear of God is not in this place. Second, I thought that my wife is, is drop-dead gorgeous. You know? <laughs> so, and third, I thought that they'll kill me for my wife's sake. See, this is his thinking way. thinking way. And as Abraham is speaking, he's thinking to himself, this is very logical. Is very logical. But we can see that when Abraham used this word surely in verse 11, Abraham said, because I thought surely. And as Abraham speaking now, he becomes aware of his problem. And what was Abraham's problem? Abraham's problem were those first three words, because I thought. And as soon as he said that, he knows he's wrong. Why? Because when Abraham said, because I thought, he knew what he was doing. What was he doing? Because when he said, because I thought, he was doing exactly what it says not to do in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, where it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not, to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. So when Abraham's word of, because I thought, he's leaning to his own understanding. That's what he's doing. And in verse 11, in between the word because, and the word I thought, really, we could insert the phrase here, so it could be like this. And Abraham said, Because I did not trust in the Lord with all my heart, because I leaned to my own understanding, I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. And so then we could further insert, and because I did not acknowledge God in all my ways, I said that they'll slay me for my wife's sake. See, if Abraham had trusted in the Lord with all of his heart and acknowledged God in all his ways, he would have not leaned to his own understanding. But he was afraid for his life, But he should have thought like this. I do not trust in the people in this place. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. Whether there's the fear of God in this place or not, it doesn't matter. Because God is God and he's over this place with or without the fear of God. And then Abraham would have let the word of God guide his thinking and he would have said, God's word to me was a promise received. And I'm going to have a son with Sarah. And dead men cannot have sons with their wives. (laughs) It's very brilliant, you know. And, And so, therefore, I cannot die until I have a son. So these people can't kill me. And sadly, Abraham was just not here with this thinking way. He wasn't here trusting the Lord with all of his heart. He wasn't acknowledging God with all of his ways. He was leaning to his own understanding. But gladly, that's not the final picture we have of Abraham, of not trusting the Lord with all of his heart, Because later, we're going to see a different Abraham, who when the word of God told him to kill his son Isaac, he trusts in the Lord with all of his heart. He does not lean to his own understanding. And that's the verse of Genesis 22.10, which we're coming to, where it says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Genesis 22.10. In that verse, we see Abraham not yielding to his own fear of losing Isaac, and not leaning to his own understanding to not kill Isaac, but what we see is a different Abraham, who in in obedience to God's word, he stretches out his hand with the knife in it, ready to plunge it down, as it says there, to slay his son. And in Genesis 22.10, that was Abraham's new because I thought. And in Genesis 22.10, Abraham's new because I thought, it could be explained by Hebrews 11.17-19. Because Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting, see this is Abraham because I, his new because I thought, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received another figure. So if we were to ask Abraham, Abraham, what were you thinking? You <laughs> know? But how could you have taken that knife to kill Isaac? Abraham would say, because I thought that I've received the promise that Isaac's going to have children. And I said to myself, dead sons can't have children. So if I kill them, then God's able to raise them up from the dead. And so now in our verse in Genesis twenty eleven, God should have thought like this. Because I thought that I received the promise of having a child, so these people can't kill me. God's able to raise him from the dead, and then not done this with, with Sarah, but he'll get there. Abraham will get there, and that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing that is uh, Genesis twenty eleven is not the last, last statement of Abraham not trusting the Lord with all of his heart, leaning to his own understanding. He's going to come to Genesis twenty two ten. It's different Abraham. That's great because that gives us encouragement. Because as believers, we fall, but we rise up again, like Abraham. So verse eleven should have been the confession of Abraham to Abimelech. And verse 11 was okay as a start, but verse 12, he's going wrong. And he should have said, I was wrong. He should have, he should have said, by thinking that, I sinned by not trusting the Lord with all my heart, acknowledging him in all, all ways. I sinned by leaning to my own understanding. That's what he should have said. You know, the most relieving words that any person could say, that Abraham could have said at that point was, I sinned, please forgive me. That's a re- that was a relief to the publican when he said, he smote his chest, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Those were the relieving words to the prodigal son, who said, I'll go and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee. Those were the relie- words of relief to the thief on the cross, who said, "Dost not thou fear God, seeing on the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. Those were the words of King David, when he found the great relief from Bathsheba the sin. In Psalm 51, he said, I acknowledge my, 51 verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is ever before me, against thee the only have I sinned, done this evil. And those are the of word, uh, relief words to King David when he said about the Jewish people in Psalm 106.6, we have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we've done wickedly. And those are the relief words to the Jewish people in Isaiah 64.6 when they say, we're all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fate as a leaf. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And those are the words of relief to anyone who comes to God for salvation, because it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, the faithful saying that's worthy of all acceptation is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And those are the words of relief that, that we're instructed as believers to say in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just forgive us our sins, can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, make him a liar. But unfortunately, those words were not the words of relief to Abraham in verse 12, because he didn't say that. And instead, he starts up, he starts up with this, indeed, she is my sister business. And as the daughter of my father, not to know my, my my mother, she became my wife. So what Abraham was saying here is reverting back to what Adam did. And Job described it so well about what Adam did in Job 31, 33. He said, if I covered my transgression as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, that's what Abraham's doing here. And he cho- he's not choosing to confess his sin and forsake it. And, and he's starting down this road of Proverbs 28, 13, where it says, he that covers his sin shouldn't prosper, but who confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. The problem is, is not with what Abraham did say, it's what that Abraham did not say. The issue is not that he said that Sarah was his sister. The issue is that he didn't say it was his wife. And Abimelech's sin was not because he had taken another man's sister. Abimelech's sin was because he had taken another man's wife. So by focusing on Sarah as being Abraham's sister, Abraham is covering his sin. And, so, and that's what we so often do. And instead of getting the relief by just, like, by just confessing, he comes up with this half-baked lie, the smoke screen, and, and we all do that. And the load gets worse. And so he says, you know, she's my sister and, and his daughter. And he goes on. You see, Abimelech, this is Abraham talking. You see, Abimelech, I called her my sister because that's her basic identity to me, he says. You know? <laughs> Later on, she became my wife. That's not how I think of her. You know, I think her as my sister. He goes on with this, you know, because he says, but, but, but Sarah's primary identity to Abraham was not that she was his sister, but that she was his wife. And so as Abraham is thinking about that. He's thinking, you know, I don't think that's believable. <laughs> and, so, and so anyway, so then he comes up, he says, no, okay, now I'll tell you what the real situation is. He says, the real situation is, verse 13, I'm going to put the blame squarely where it belongs, Abraham says. He says, God caused me to wander from my father's house. That's the blame right there. I knew it all. It's God, God, uh, that, God is to blame. He says, he caused me to wander. Uh, you know, it's true, Abimelech, I did ask my wife to say I was a brother, not her husband, but that's God's fault, because he caused me to wander into these dangerous places like your place, where I could get killed. So in verse 13, it's God's fault, and now Abraham has slipped back to Adam's, verse, you know, Genesis 3:12. the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree, I did eat. And that's the pattern of covering sin, it's always God's fault. You know, I did it because of the wife that God gave me. I did it because of the husband that God gave me. I gave it because the parents that God gave me, the boss that God gave me. It's all God's fault. So now we can see that Abimelech's not very impressed with his explanation, and he does something very interesting. Clearly, Abimelech is red-hot angry with Abraham. Clear. And he's got a good reason to be, because now he's just getting a lot of smoke in his eyes. And Abraham has really made Abimelech mad. And so Abraham, he won't come clean. And and so what happens here is that Abimelech does something very, very wise. He could have looked at Abraham and unleashed his full fury on him. But instead, Abimelech remembers what God said to him about Abraham. And Abraham was God's prophet, he said. And and, and Abimelech blesses Abraham, and that's what we see in verses 14 through 15. And and that lesson is good for us, because the Jewish people have ways of making believers angry. (laughs) I can testify. They certainly got under the, get under my skin. They certainly get under the skin of Martin Luther. And as believers, we are like Abimelech, and Abraham was like the Jewish people. And like Abimelech, we have reason to get angry with the Jewish people, and Abimelech had reason to get angry with Abraham. And like Abimelech, we find ourselves standing at the crossroads of a decision to be bitter and lash out or to bless him and to remember what God said about Abraham as Abimelech did I will bless them, in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And Romans eleven twenty eight 28, it's concerning the gospel. They're enemies for our sakes, but as touching the election, beloved for the father's sake. Abimelech made the right decision to bless Abraham. And then Abimelech turns to Sarah and says, Okay, Sarah, I gave your brother a thousand pieces of silver. This whole issue of Sarah being Abraham's wife. So what we see Abimelech saying, tongue-in-cheek, he turns to Sarah and he says, Behold, I have given to what? Thy brother. <laughs> That's the whole issue. I'm giving thy brother. So he's calling Abraham, says Sarah, Sarah's brother. He's calling her brother. He's, brought, he's bringing her to shame for denying that it's her husband. And he's brought her to shame. And it says at the end of verse 16, she was reproved. And now he says in verse 16, he says something. And now Abimelech turns into a prophet. And he says in verse 16, Behold, he is to thee a covering the eyes unto all that see them with all others. So Abimelech tells Sarah that Abraham was a covering to the eyes. Now, a covering for the eyes has two sides. One side of the covering is seen from the inside, and the other side is seen from the outside. So Abimelech is saying to Sarah, as for the covering seen by her from the inside, Abraham is your covering. You see Abraham. You know, I only have eyes for you, Abraham. She would always see herself as Miss Abraham. And the covering seen from the outside Everyone should see her as Mrs. Abraham. And that's most—that's so needed today by men and wives today. Wives should always see themselves as their primary identity, as the wife of so-and-so. And for that matter, husbands should always think of themselves as the, as the husbands of the wife. And men should always see wives of others as the primary identity, as being the wife of so-and-so. And the woman should always think of their, of their husbands as being the husband of, of so-and-so. So this would stop the primary cause of breakup marriages today, which is the spirit of, I'm nobody's wife, I'm nobody's wife. I'm a spirit of independence. And last, we'll finish the chapter with verses 17 through 18. Simply say, Abraham prays for Abimelech, Abimelech's healed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God of life and of forgiveness and of leading to repentance and the transformation that you brought about in Abraham. And we pray, Lord, for our own transformation that we might, Lord, trust in you with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God Radio program today. And we have several teaching resources to offer you this month. Tom Cantor, our amazing Bible teacher, has some small sized tracks and teachings that'll help you to grow in your faith, prayers, and witness. And these resources we are offering are called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53? How to Pray for the Lost? How to Pray for the Saints. And What Kind of Love is God's love? These written resources from Tom Cantor will teach you valuable and simple Christian lessons. Now, Tom Cantor himself talks about how the story of a Japanese boy helped him to understand the meaning of Isaiah 53 and how a Jew learned the meaning of Isaiah 53. Now, Tom also will teach you how to pray for your lost friend and how to pray for your friend in the faith with his teaching on how to pray for the lost and how to pray for the saints. Finally, Tom will show you in a Bible track how God's love is honest, giving, inviting, patient, but also a love that can be rejected. But it's also a love that you can pass along to a person you know with a Bible track, What Kind of Love is God's Love? All of these great teaching resources and small tracks and teachings are yours for a donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, which will help to support this program staying on this station that you're listening to. So call us now for these valuable resources from Tom Cantor and your donation of $10 or more to support this Bible teaching radio program. Call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051 to get these valuable teaching tracks and resources. 800-247-3051 for your resource of the month. Or go online to donate or to shop our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, call us at 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.